Hello and welcome to History in Reverse, a father-daughter science fiction podcast. Today we will be discussing the book The Time Machine by H.G. Wells, the 1960 movie The Time Machine based on the book, and the Futurama episode The Late Philip J. Fry, also loosely based on the book. History in Reverse. My name is Caroline. I'm here with my father, Richie. Hello. And we're here today talking about the time machine, the book, the movie, and the Futurama episode. <laughs> uh, so we got a lot, lot uh, we're going to do. We, I think we added in the Futurama episode kind of last minute when we realized there was one that riff, riffed on it. So um, starting with the, the time machine's a classic, H.G. Wells. Uh, Dad, did you look up anything about H.G. Wells? Yes. So this was an interesting thing. Uh, this was The book was published in 1895, and this was his first science fiction novel. Oh. And uh, so at the time, H.G. Wells, well, you can look up his Wikipedia entry, but he apparently was a teacher, and he got married fairly young, and then he ran away with one of his students. Oh, very, very scandalous. Okay. <laughs> and he divorced his first wife and married the student. And he moved to walking, which is remember that that was the place where War of the World started. And oh, that's where he did okay. his writing. Mm -hmm. And so this was his very first book. I think War of the Worlds was the second, which is like published a year or two later. Mm -hmm. So he was pretty prolific, although the book is not terribly long. So this was his first science fiction and then he did War of the Worlds. Yes. Wow, can you imagine your first science fiction book and it becomes like a classic staple of science fiction? That's crazy. <laughs> well, what what one of our members of our book discussion group, Evelyn, mentioned that he did all kinds of serious writing later on in life and nobody remembers that. And mm -hmm. everybody knows his novels. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the time it was kind of it was kind of novel, right? This concept of a time machine. There wasn't really, as far as I'm aware, there weren't really stories like this before right the the only time traveling stuff that i can remember is like rip van winkle right so those kind mm -hmm. of somebody falls asleep and wakes up you know 20 years later or some such right um, this one being different because there there's like an actual machine involved in it and so right. it's interesting because nowadays there's so many stories about time machines that it seems kind of you know when you read the book it seems kind of basic but I guess it kind of is basic because it was like the protogenitor story of all these time machine stories. Um, so the, 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 the other interesting, well, this was also like beginning of the industrial age, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's why machines were kind of, people would tinker with the machines and make clocks and whatnot. And the other thing that sort of comes out a little bit in this, in the book and in the movie, mathematics, People talked about multidimensional spaces beyond three dimensions, and very mm -hmm. often they considered time another dimension, right? So, as the character of time traveler in both uh, both versions says, you know, yeah, we can travel in height and width and length. Why not in time? It's just another mm -hmm. dimension, right? So he says he figured it out. Is it is time considered another dimension? Yes, it is. Okay, I don't know. I'm just I, I'm just a, a lowly lowly lawyer over here i don't understand the math the math and the science we don't we don't do that where i come from <laughs> uh it's it's definitely very interesting so i think the way we're going to do this podcast because we're talking about so many different things is we're going to discuss the plot of the book first then 
the ways that the movie differed or was the same. And then we'll talk about the Futurama episode as well. <laughs> um, so, so the time machine, how does it start? So, well, it has kind of an interesting um, structure that seemed to be very popular in books around that time, which is where the narrator is like a person who attends a party or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the hero comes in and tells the story uh, and the narrator writes it down. So mm-hmm. in this case, I think in the book, the narrator shows up to dinner. This is, this, this is, I guess, end of 19th century in England, right? And mm-hmm. he shows up, this couple of people who, um, who come to this dinner and they don't have names in the book. They only have like professions, the doctor, the accountant, I forget now. Yeah, it's like the doctor, the journalist, I think there's a professor. Right. And then the, the time traveler is always for the whole story right. is referred to as the time traveler. Right. So they show up to dinner and he's late. Right. So they're kind of surprised. Which is kind of funny, <laughs> actually. Right. <laughs> uh, right. Exactly. I think that was on purpose. So yeah. he's late and he all of a sudden came, comes into the dining room and he's like all disheveled and, and dirty and says, he says, wait, wait, I'm going to be right back. So he goes upstairs to change and clean up. Then he comes down and sits down and he's like, man, what the hell happened to you? And he says, give me some meat. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah. And he like <laughs> scarfs down dinner and drinks. And they're like, what, what is going on with you? What, like, what's the deal, man? And he's like, yo, you're never going to believe where I've been. Yeah, he says, I'm going to tell you the story. You can believe me or not, but this is what happened. So it reminds me, well, it reminds me kind of of the beginning of uh, Shakespeare's play, um, Midsummer Night's Dream. I, I think it's in the opening soliloquy, if I recall, I haven't read the play in years, but the characters are like, you know, this is like, you're going to hear a story and like, maybe it's real. Maybe it's all just a dream. Like, you know, and if you don't like it, uh-huh. then it's just a dream. <laughs> and it's like, okay, cool. Uh, this reminded me also beginning of um, Heart of Darkness, which mm-hmm. is like a party of old sailor buddies sitting on a boat uh, floating in, a, in, in London, actually in the Thames. Mm-hmm. And this guy named Marlowe, he says, lights up his pipe, says, let me tell you a story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of stories around that time uh, in the 1800s were written. Frankenstein was the same kind of style with this, like somebody telling you a story, which is it, not so popular now, but it's definitely interesting. What what I like about that is that there is a narrator, right? And like we right. don't, the narrator doesn't give us very much influence into the text, but the influence he does give is always calling the time travel traveler the time traveler, right. even in the beginning. He doesn't call well, you, him anything else because the narrator is the only one who actually believes he has time traveled. I think that's interesting. Well, also this kind of structure kind of tells you that the hero survived whatever it is that he that's going true. to tell you. Yeah, exactly. Because he's there to tell you. Absolutely. That's true. So uh, basically the time traveler describes how he time traveled and he did not go into the past. He doesn't go into the past at all. Well, so, story. so how does he time travel? So he has this magical machine that he sits in and it's really cute because it's made of like quartz and like gold. Well, he made it. (laughs) Yeah, he like made this magical machine and um, he sits in it and it has like a seat. And uh, He calls it a saddle. Yeah, he does call it a saddle. I like the way they did it in the movie. We'll get there. We'll get there. But yeah, yeah, it's like got some kind of seat or saddle or whatever. It does not seem to have any kind of roof though. Like it doesn't, it's not enclosed which leads to a lot of questions. 
but it has a variety of dials um, and you can and the lever and a lever right and when you pull the lever you go forward or backwards and it can go in other direction and, and so it can he, also go um, very fast or slow right so depending how far how much mm -hmm. you press it or whatever like an accelerator right exactly so he goes in the future and i forget in the book he doesn't stop anywhere else in the future he just goes directly to he goes pretty far yeah so he yeah. He, he doesn't try to predict any anything that's happening going to happen within within short-term future right? right so he winds up he just mentions that you know he sees the sun kind of go across the sky so fast that it just forms like a band mm -hmm. and um for a while he's inside a mountain he thinks because wherever he's standing his space is covered with rocks mm -hmm. and then he finally stops the machine a little bit too fast yes <laughs> and he falls off it mm -hmm. and right. he wakes up in a wonderful beautiful paradise and everything is great well no so he's he lands in front of this sculpture that he calls a sphinx mm -hmm. so there's this large sphinx does it, does he say how tall it is? It's pretty big. It's like it's know, big, stories yeah. high. Yeah, he, and yeah. there's I think that he notices there's like a door or something that that leads mm -hmm. to it. Yeah. So anyway, so he straightens his time machine. You know, he puts it straight. He takes out the lever so nobody can run the machine because without it you can't run it. And he starts hearing voices, mm -hmm. and sounds like people are kind of laughing and, and being happy or whatever. So. He starts wandering around, and what does he find? He finds the Eloi. They're these little people that it, we don't get too much of a description of what they actually physically look like in the book, from what I recall. He says they're very small. He says you know, they're, they're small, they're, they're, they're childlike. They're just well, he doesn't chilling. find out they're called Eloi for a while because yeah. they speak some strange language, right? So he actually manages to. So he starts kind of hanging out with them for a minute, and then he's by a river. Mm -hmm. right and then he hears screams mm -hmm. or cries or something and he sees one of the eloi fell into the, the river and and she, and she's drowning and mm -hmm. i guess what's a girl so he's and and all the other eloi just saying yeah whatever i like yellow what do we want to know what to do <laughs> <laughs> whoops so he being an english gentleman jumps in and saves her mm -hmm. so she kind of becomes like his little pet right so he, that's kind of how he describes it's like like that they're, they're little pets so he can pick her up and put on her shoulder mm -hmm. like a child with her he goes to this building where they walk in and there's all this table set up with fruit and all these nice stuff no meat they mm -hmm. were all vegan or, <laughs> yes. or fruit, fruitarians maybe <laughs> yes and so he's and, able to get food and stuff from them and sort of start to to interact he, with them right and it's starting to to so he learns bit bits of the language he picks it up pretty quickly he's pretty talented that way i guess yeah i mean because because people that many years in the future would speak a language would speak any kind of language similar to what we speak now but what's interesting about that part of the book is he starts to you know he's a scientist the, the time traveler he starts to hypothesize and he's thinking you know, he expected to go in the future and find mankind evolved past violence, past poverty, past starvation, all of these things, and to be, be at this like higher level. Like he expected them to be at this higher level. Yeah, be smart and, be, and, and yeah. And he sort of is like kind of beginning to project that assumption onto the Eloi, and he's sort of assuming they are that. 
But at the same time, he's recognizing like there's a distinct lack of technology. Like there's not, right. he's not seeing anything that's like futuristic kind of stuff. And things kind of seem almost like in dis, in, in dis, not disarray, like, like a, decay and kind of. Not, not quite. That That's more in a movie, I think. At least around the, the place when he first goes, the building that they stay in seems to be just fine. Mm -hmm. And there's all this gardens with fruit and flowers so they just run around playing basically he doesn't talk much about sex but you know the implication is that they they kind of go and and have fun that way yeah he kind of he kind of implies that that's happening but then he also describes them as being children and pet like so it's a very strange right. <laughs> juxtaposition of descriptions but like yeah he's going around and kind of a lot of the time machine the book is spent of him like walking to and from various places and seeing stuff Right, okay. he's, so he's kind of exploring the area and, and he sees some green building in a distance, right? Mm -hmm. So he, as he learns a little bit of the language, he he entertains the Eloy by lighting matches, right? So this right. is a 19th century gentleman would always have matches on him because they light up pipes or cigars or whatever. Mm -hmm. right? So, and they thought it was hysterical because they didn't know what fire was, right. Appar apparently. And then he goes back to check up on his time machine and uh-oh. Oh, that's right. He goes back to check on his time machine and the machine is gone. Whoops. Whoopsie doodle. Whoopsie doodle. Yeah. <laughs> so the machine is gone, but there are drag marks in the dirt. That so yeah, he freaks the... out a bit and then, but he notices that there's the drag marks in the dirt leading into what seems to be like gates under the Sphinx. Yeah. I think he calls them panels. Yeah. It's basically mm -hmm. like, it was dragged inside that, that building that was kind of right there and the doors are closed and he can't get in. So now he's stuck. <laughs> he's got a problem. Now he's got a problem. So, But at least he knows that nobody can make it function because he has the lever um, right. in his pocket. So um, when's the first time he interacts with the Morlocks? Right. So I think, does he sleep outside and hear some dreams that that, yeah. So what happens is he he realizes that the the Eloy are very afraid of the dark, right. and they all go and sleep like together in like a safe spot, basically. And he doesn't. He just like sleeps outside somewhere, and he feels very uneasy. And I don't know if he. I think he sees like like a murloc real quick um, outside. Like he sees like a flash of one, but he sort of begins to become aware of the fact that there there's like some kind of like white fuzzy animal situation happening right. and that the Eloy are afraid of these other creatures that are called it's is it Morlock or Murloc? Morlock. Morlock. Yeah. Murlocks are monsters from World of Warcraft. So it's, it's a Morlock <laughs> in time machine. Uh, and they're afraid of the Morlocks and through interactions with Weena and talking to the other ones and sort of exploring, he comes to learn that the Morlocks uh, live underground and right. seem to come out at night. And right. they're like white, they're like, they have like white fur and they're kind of like more ape-like is kind of how he describes them. Like they're bigger and right. they don't like the sun. So he's the couple of nights. I think the whole, his whole stay there is about a little bit a week or so, right? Mm -hmm. So he sees, he wants to explore more. So he sees this green building far away that he wants to go and check out, right? Right. So he takes Weena with him and she's happy to kind of go along and they have to cross some woods and they get to that building. It's a few miles walking. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he said like five miles or something. 
he got his daily steps in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so when they get to that building, it's kind of in disrepair. He realizes this is like an old museum, mm -hmm. right? So this, he starts exploring that is in some dark corner of the museum. He actually sees a Morlock again. Mm -hmm. right? And the Morlock just sees him and runs away. And then he's looking for some tools that he might want to use to try to pry open this door and get his machine back. So like he, at one point he, he finds what looks like a stick of dynamite. Mm -hmm. right? He says, oh my God, that's great. I can blow something up. Then he realizes, wait a second, who would put, nobody would put real dynamite in the museum. It's, mm -hmm. it's a, just a mock-up. Yeah. But lo and behold, the serendipity button was pressed and he finds more matches. <laughs> and then he has magically more matches. Yay. Mat there were matches in a museum because obviously that's what you do with matches. <laughs> Did he? Uh, so the, the, there are these uh, chimney things mm -hmm. that you can climb down into the underworld. Right. Mm -hmm. And is that, does, does he do that before going to the museum? I don't remember the order. I think it's, I, I think it's before. I think it's before. So basically one of the things is he's trying to figure out how to get his time machine back. And he kind of puts together that the Eloy hadn't taken the machine. They didn't, he talks to them. They didn't know what he was talking about. So he figures that the Morlocks had taken it. And so he's sort of exploring ways to get into, you know, into their underground besides just going through the doors under the Sphinx. So he does at one point in time, kind of climb down into their Right. Abyss. So there, there's these, these like, uh, chimney things kind of built into the ground where you can climb down underground and mm -hmm. and they seem to be have been made with like handholds or something so you can climb up and down yeah right so he goes into the one of those and he gets into a tunnel right and he kind of when he feels a morlock trying to touch him or something he just lights up a match mm -hmm. right and that scares him off so he gets to the end of the tunnel so he, he sees this larger room and that's when he finds that what Morlocks like to eat is not fruit. What? They're not vegan too? Oh, no. No, no. They are meat eaters. Oh, well, whoopsie doodle. <laughs> and what kind of meat? Well, they raise it up on the ground, you know, they call yeah. it the Yeah. So the, then it kind of revises his uh, theory of the situation. Right. right. So he discovers that the Morlocks are eating the e Eloy, which uh gross. And... He, well, he basically has to escape from them because he runs out of matches. Right. He and, uses and, up like all his matches in like one go. He barely gets out. Right. And uh, that, and then yeah, he he rehypothesizes kind of what the situation is. He had thought the Eloy were like the over like the overlords that they were like running right. the show, and the Murlocs were like some kind of like lesser being or something like that. But he realized then that the Morlocks had actually the Morlocks actually were the ones that were dominant. And the Eloy were kept kind of like cattle, like kind of like, right. you know, bread to be eaten and not even that, aware of that fact. That's when social commentary comes into play where he talks that the, he, he says the Eloy evolved from aristocrats you mm -hmm. know, who are kind of lazy and not do anything. And that is dependent on servants and the servants and laborers, you know, wound up working underground more and more and more and the, that's they produce everything aristocrats became so lazy that ultimately they just became cattle for the for the workers right. kind exactly of. exactly yeah. and and so like he 
in the book, it, Wells separates them by in terms of social class, that the social classes that right. were so distinct that they actually evolved into separate species, which right. is very is different from what the movie is like. Right. Um, and he has an interesting, I wish I had highlighted the line. Um, oh, I listened to the audiobook, so I couldn't highlight the line. That's why. Uh, but he, when he's kind of realizing that, he makes an interesting observation about how the like the special thing about humans or like the thing that keeps the species like intelligent is its need to overcome obstacles. And once mm -hmm. you eliminate those obstacles, you eliminate the need for intelligence and you can just rely on base instinct. And that that's right. what had happened right. was that the Eloy got into a position where they, they, they no longer had to toil and therefore right. so easy to just they pick the lost. Fruits. Yeah. They lost their intelligence and became, just like like animals based on instinct as opposed to animals with an intelligence which i thought was interesting it was like a weird little paragraph in the middle of like that section of the right. story <laughs> um, well he was besides being a bit of a socialist he was very much a, a darwinist so he was mm -hmm. very proponent you know um, he understood the theory of evolution and and kind of was trying to i guess apply it here yeah so um, so then after he survives his his, his his journey into under the underworld he he takes Weena with him and the venture to the museum that's what you're right that's where he found the extra matches mm -hmm. and he finds like a crowbar to bring with him to mm -hmm. try to open the the gate mm -hmm. um, sadly they stayed a little bit too late at the museum mm -hmm. but it starts to get dark right so they had to walk through this very dark woods and well guess what what comes out after dark oh no well i think what happened was they stopped before going through the woods and and sat around and, and had a little fire yeah like so he he they're on their way back and he's like exhausted and she's tired and whatever so he makes them like a campfire and he's like oh i'm just gonna like take a nap real quick and he he, he knows the morlocks are in the woods around them because they kind of know that they're there but they won't come anywhere near the fire so he falls asleep and he falls asleep for too long and the fire goes out and he wakes up and the Morlocks are on them. Right. And then it's like a crazy battle in the woods. Right. And Weena is lost. Yeah, he leaves Weena behind. The, fo well, the whole forest he, catches fire. The fo she probably right, forest catches fire. Yeah, she kind of gets lost somewhere. He winds up being on like a hill where he can fight the Morlocks off. He kills a bunch of them, apparently. Mm -hmm. He just... And... Um, because the forest go on fire, the Morlocks kind of scatter away and he manages to get through it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But he lost his pet Weena in the process. Poor yeah. one out for Weena. So he continues back. And then let's see in the book. How does it that he gets the time machine back? When he gets back, are the doors open? We, the door is open, right? Yeah. And the time machine is right there, right? Yeah. So I think the implication with that is that the Morlocks basically kind of realized he was more trouble than he was worth and didn't want to keep fighting him. So they opened the doors and let him have it back. That was my interpretation of it. I don't know if that's correct. That's not the impression I got. I, he doesn't really explain how the door, why the door was open. I mean, they, they have given explanation in a movie, right? Yeah. But, but anyways, I mean, I think because in, in the, in the book, he's around the Sphinx at night. It's not like the door automatically opens at night or something. So, it's, I think only on like a first night he was there. Later he wasn't. So when he comes back, 
it happens to be open. He sees the machine, so he just basically mm -hmm. runs and jumps on it. Mm -hmm. He has to fight a couple of Morlocks off. He puts in the... The, uh, the lever. The lever, right? Yeah. And he just pushes it forward. And he just takes off into the future, into further mm -hmm. future. And now comes your favorite part, right? And that was my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's actually, so it's really cool because H.G. Wells spends like a considerable amount of time describing a variety of things in the future and kind of going forward and seeing like the end of the world kind of thing. Distant future, cool. yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, the sun getting hotter and bigger and there's like all this really cool imagery about like the world no longer rotates. So half the planet is dark and there's like a bigger moon it's like it's like a really really interesting visuals but i like the giant crabs so <laughs> there's in his future in his distant future his like time machine ends up being on this like beach and he stops the time machine and again his time machine does not have a, a roof of any kind which was poor planning because he describes having difficulty breathing and the temperature being weird and things like that but the biggest problem was that he was easily attacked by giant crabs on this beach. And there are giant future crabs. Um, Fortunately, they're moving slowly, right? So he could yes. see. So he was able to get away. But there's like, it's interesting. It's like the concept that like, okay, in the far distant future, what kind of creatures will still exist? Like crustaceans, probably the pretty safe bet. They've been around for a really long time. They'll probably continue to be around. And under the right circumstances, they will be giant. Was the time where he had like large, large birds or something as well uh in the book he, he goes through different eras yeah i don't remember uh i just remember the crabs because i was mm. very excited <laughs> that was at the very end yeah at, at yeah. the end of time yeah so he goes all the way to the end of time and then what does he do and then he comes back and, and he says that was for... fun i'll go back and he's late <laughs> for dinner and he tells these guys what happened mm -hmm. And he reaches in one of his pockets, and there's a flower. Oh, right. We forgot this right. detail. So we we know was really the, the Eloy generally were really into like giving each other flowers, and we know would like, give him flowers, and he put them in his pocket. So he brought them back. And actually, H.G. Wells had another really beautiful kind of comment on that. That like, um, it, you know, even even in this like, the, like human human beings always manage to maintain like the ability to show compassion or some something along those lines. Mm -hmm. He says it's towards the end of the novel. He says it when he pulls the flowers out of his pocket, because it's like it, it was a kind gesture. It was like something Weena did right. not not to gain anything, not to, you know, earn his approval or anything, but like just to be nice, just be like, this is right. my new friend. Here's a flower. And so, yeah, she pulls he pulls the flower out um, of his pocket. And I think that's what convinces the narrator that he really went right i think uh, there was some implication that that one of them was a botanist and he knew a little bit about flowers so he could tell that it was a strange flower yeah so they like they can't identify the flower and he's like this is like my only proof and right. then somebody kind of like the other guys don't really believe him right. our, our narrator kind of does and somebody kind of implies that like he should get more proof if like the, he's really trying to sell the story to them and right. he kind of implies that he's going to get more proof. Right. And then I think the narrator comes back another day for dinner and he's, the time traveler is gone. And uh, I don't know if it's his landlady or, or his, his late, you know, his housekeeper rather tells him that he collected, you know, some, some cameras and stuff 
and mm -hmm. he was going to go and he disappeared. And, and then the narrator tells us that it's been three years since the time traveler left and he hasn't come back yet. So whoops. <laughs> oops. That's how this, uh, that, the book ends. Yeah. So that's how the book, let me just take a look at my notes, my friend. Oh, so the joke I told you earlier was not my joke. I stole it from Alexa. So Alexa was the one that made the joke after reading this book. And she said, um, gives a whole new meaning to the phrase, eat the rich. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, so then the movie is similar. Kind right. Of. So in the movie, the character has a name. His name and is George. This is the 1960s version because there's been other right. versions. Don't watch right. the other ones. Watch. It's actually a very good movie, even for like it being a 1960s movie. It's very good. So yes. Anyway, I'm sorry. You were saying. Right. So his name is George. And basically the way it starts, it's the same scene. The, the guys show up for dinner. Mm -hmm. And in this case, this is a, a beginning of the 20th century, right? So it's like a 1990, yeah, 1900. Yeah, I think it takes, it takes place on on New Year's, I think, of 1899. Well, the, these it starts like seven days later, right? Because they, they meet for every week, they meet for, for dinner. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So he they come there and he's not there and, and he's late, naturally. And then he gets into the room all dirty and, and disheveled mm -hmm. and stuff. And then he sits down and eats his dinner and they ask him what happened. He says, I'm going to tell you the story, but you're not going to believe me, but here it is. Mm -hmm. And then they go back to week before where he, they had the same dinner and he has the, the model time machine. Mm -hmm. Oh, he had that in the book too. We didn't, we didn't talk about that. Oh, we didn't. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. It's the same thing. He had, he had built a, a teeny miniature model of it, which was the cutest thing. <laughs> and, uh, he had tested, he tested out in front of them. And well, he, then, he explains know. them about the dimension of time and this and that. And he says, see, he has a time machine. He presses a button and the thing disappears. Mm -hmm. And he says, where did it go? And he says, well, it's still here, but in a different time. And he said, mm -hmm. sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've seen that before. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so the movie, very similar, similar overarching plot in the movie. Um, this might shock everyone. Uh, in the movie, Weena is sexy. She's the sexy future alien lady, um, well, so, I, which is a weird, a weird choice. <laughs> before we get to Weena, mm -hmm. uh, because the movie was made in the 1960s, they could have shown some of the future that was upcoming, right? So oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he, a couple of times, he stops his machine and goes on his street and look at this store across the street where they're selling clothes for ladies. And you can see the skirts yes. go up and up. He meets his friend who was not his friend, but his, his friend's son. Mm -hmm. Right. And, I like that uh, aspect of the movie that he, he stopped throughout the 19 early 1900s and mid 1900s to like, see what was up basically. And like, at, and at some point in time, I, I, I like this subplot. So he had this friend, David. David, David Philby, Philby, yeah, yeah, who who's basically in the role of the narrator from the book. He's like the one guy yeah. that believes him about the time travel thing. He, they're like they're just best friends. Those two guys, they are such good bros. And they, at some point in time, when he's in his time machine, the light, his the time machine's in his house, and yeah. the lights go out, and so he stops to see like what's up, and then he, you know, he realizes the house is kind of in decay or whatever. That's when he goes outside and he runs into. The man he I think thinks first time is he his runs friend. No, first time I think he runs into Philby, no? 
No, no, he never runs into David. He runs in first into uh, David's son, Jamie, mm -hmm. but as right. an adult. So right. he run and he looks just like his father, and he's played by the same actor. So they saved on they saved on Philby's, and the and see the time traveler asks, you know, what's with the house across the street that's like got its lights out now and is boarded up, and Philby's son, Jamie Philby, says, "Oh, my dad was the one." that was left in charge of that house after the man who owned disappeared. it dis disappeared and he would never liquidate because he said someday is going to come back. And if that is not the greatest love story you've ever heard, I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> it's timeless. Exactly. <laughs> I love this subplot. But uh, yeah. So but then so they mention World War One, right? Because mm -hmm. she says, are you on the front? You know, mm -hmm. and and then there's World War Two with the airplanes flying over London. And he's like flying machines. Oh. And then we get to 1960s, mm -hmm. which they were trying to predict the future, right? So he goes out, and there's Philby as an old guy, uh, of well, I guess Philby's son, who's mm -hmm. trying. The sirens go off, mm -hmm. like, and he tells everybody has to go underground to hide from the bombs. Right. Right. That's the it's implication. Fun. It's funny because I don't know if you caught the year that was. So the movie was in 1960. The year of that, like future time, was 1966. Right. So it was well, only I mean, six that years was, in the future. This was in the middle of the Cold War, so that yeah. was a, a lot of that kind of stuff was being predicted, like a nuclear war and destruction of the whole Earth and stuff. Yeah. And um, so then that occurs. So the, there's a war and there's bombing and there's a whole slew of really bad special effects. They're not that bad. It was. It was at least entertaining. <laughs> But my favorite was that there was like, there's like the bombing, like the nuclear bomb or whatever, and then the volcanoes start erupting. Right, right. And his he's now he's kind of narrating it. The time traveler George is sort of narrating it the whole time, and he's like, you know, Mother Nature responded to man's destruction with her own destruction. Right. It's very dramatic. So he ends up because of the lava, he ends up under a rock. And right. So he jumps on his machine and just starts going forward. So by going fast through time, he manages to avoid being, you know, burned away or whatever. Mm -hmm. And eventually he lands in front of the Sphinx. Yep. And then it's it's a similar story from I mean it's a much more truncated story because he doesn't get to the Sphinx until about 50 minutes into the movie. Right. It takes Absolutely. like a while for him to get there. And you know, he meets the Eloy. We know it's drowning they speak in the river. They speak English. It's, it's very convenient that they say, you know, English has lasted all this time. You know, Wena drowns in the river, whatever. I think the biggest difference is, is that the, the Eloy aren't children. They're all adults, but they're like young adults. Yeah, they're like teenagers. Um, or yeah. Very, very, all very pretty. Yeah, Wena's makeup is just perfect. Her hair is perfect. You know, they're, they're all blonde. They're all like, some of them have like really bad wigs, but those are the background the Eloy. boys had pretty bad haircuts though yeah those are wigs those are all wigs oh the wigs yeah. yeah yeah they're just it's, i guess they're meant to look bad. the same yeah um, so yeah so he clearly sees that they not interested in anything like he he goes with Wina and sits at like a lunch i guess mm -hmm. where they're having the fruit and he tries to talk to the guys and says sir i say yes. <laughs> and, and they're just ignoring him and he's like don't you want to know things and they're like why would we want to know things? <laughs> uh, don't you have books? 
So he says, oh, yes, they we show, have books. And they they show, show him a library and all the books disintegrate when he touches them. And he's right, so sad. And I also am so sad. Big sad. So the interesting thing about this, too, is he, again, there's kind of a narration over the movie. He kind of is thinking this is going to be the advanced race. This is going to be advanced humans. This is, you know, the these are the good people. And then he sort of realizes that they're they're not. Yeah, he's really disappointed. Um, so he says that they kind of just squandered all that knowledge and everything. Yeah. So he's kind of disgusted, and he says, "I'm just leaving by." Yeah. And he storms out and and goes to his machine. He gets to the place where it was, and it, and oops, it's gone. <laughs> and there's obvious tracks taking it behind the gate. Yeah. So he you know, bangs on the door a bit. It's a big big metal thing, and he, there's nothing he could do. Right. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't quite understand what's going on and around that time he sees these shadowy figures not shadowy like figures with ha white hair or something yeah it's getting towards evening and so the, he's starting to see the first couple morlocks kind of in the woods <laughs> so that that's when weena comes after him i think yeah and uh, at one point morlock grabs grabs her and he you know fights the morlock off i think before when he was the morlock appeared somewhere he was i guess meant to be dark so he lights up lights up a match just to right. see better and you can see that he realized they're afraid of the fire right he learns that they're gonna they're afraid of that so he's able yeah he they grab weena but he's able to get her back so and... he get back and they sit down he makes a little fire yeah to keep the morlocks away and they kind of and weena says oh pretty and, and she, she tries, tries to, to touch it <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we don't know. That's not how it works. So then they go to the they go to the museum because he they don't go into until later. Right, so they go he, to the right. He, he wants to find out. Oh, she what, mentions what? she mentioned something to him about like history, mm -hmm. and he's like, "Where did you hear that?" And she's like, uh, "The talking rings." The talking rings, which was like such a cool, like a cool little thing in this movie. I love the talking rings. And he's like, what are you talking about? Show me the talking rings. So they go to a, muse a local museum close by. Right. And there's a couple different things in the museum. But there's, I don't know who came up with this idea. This is not in the book, but it's a really cool science fiction idea. It's like a flat table and there's these like silver rings. And when you spin them, like you would spin a coin, they talk. They like play a recording. Right. And I think, Dad, you said it was the equivalent of the science fiction character sitting down and reading a book. Right, right. <laughs> but it's in the movie, so yeah. it's kind of cool, right? Yeah. So, I mean, they needed to give us exposition about things, right? So uh, he spins a couple rings, and we learn about um, this, like, 300-year war that went on. Right. And, like, the whole world was decimated, and there was very few survivors. And, and um, underground. There's like a group that decides to retreat to the caves and go underground. And then there's a group that decides to stay on the surface. And then he concludes, you know, this is how the Morlocks and the Eloy uh, evolved, which is right. completely removing the social commentary of the book. <laughs> right. So now, the commentary that he makes in the movie is that he tries to, he's mad at them that they, they squandered all the knowledge and, and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Right. Then he finds out about the Morlocks, right? He's going to. You mean about them being underground? Well, well, he knows about the being underground, and he they show he sees the the you know, the chimneys or the entrances into the mm -hmm. underworld, right? 
-hmm. and he's planning to go down there right 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 and he's he's about to go down one because he he thinks they took his time at this point he he's figured out that they took his time machine right and uh he's about to go down one and then a the the siren goes off Mm -hmm. yeah right so we see actually the shot of the sphinx and there's like the the siren thingies come out of it like a metal Mm -hmm. things that make the noise and all of a sudden all the Eloi just kind of stand on attention and start walking towards them Mm -hmm. and when he runs towards it too and he's looking for Weena because she well he's looking for Weena but like anybody he has they seem to be like in some kind of a trance yeah which is sort of interesting and when he's when he gets to the sphinx the doors are open right and the Eloi are walking into the doors uh, and he, um, Weena gets inside. He just misses it. The right, siren stops. Yeah, the siren stops, and the doors close, and all the Eloi on the outside are kind of released from this trance. And that's when they, uh, what's the guy say to him? All clear. All clear. And he said, "What happened? What's this?" And they say, "It's okay. It's all clear." Mm-hmm. And he says, "Oh my God, the war ended like so long ago, and you're still doing this, like." Yeah, this is kind of the mirroring of the people having to go underground because bombs are going to fall Mm -hmm. and all clear means there's no more bombs. Right. Right. It was a really interesting little detail. I like that a lot. Well, that's that's for 1960s. Yeah. And so George is like, you know, well, what about the people that are inside? Like when like how do we get them or whatever? And the Eloy outside are like, oh, no, they never come back. And George is like, they shall come back. I shall save them. So he goes to the. To the chimney. To the chimney, and he goes down. Mm-hmm. When he and it's convenient, like when he gets to the bottom, he finds a piece of wood and some stuff to wrap around it to make a torch. He pressed the serendipity button, and he found a torch. <laughs> right. I mean, he didn't light it, so he's just kind of going there. And there's then whole underground scene with the the Morlocks, and and you can see he sees a like a dining room with the bones scattered all over. Just, yeah. Oh my god. That's what they like, do with the Eli. The music is so dramatic. He looks at it and his face is like horrified. And the music's like, da, da, da. And there's just bones. He's like, then I the, realize the, they eat them. The, and again, this is the the land of very bad special effects. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you ever watched Batman a TV show. Mm-hmm. A long it's, time ago, yeah. Yeah, it's that kind of special effects, that kind of quality. Yeah. The purple, the Eli. Morlocks with purple with like this white hair, the kind of big, and there's these machines kind of sort of yeah, it's like doing something or other. But the thing that's that's weird about it is so in the books, when he goes underground, it's dark, it's like pitch right. black. And one of the reasons that the Morlocks, the Morlocks won't come out during the day and they're afraid of fire because it's bright, like that's the right. in the books. And the movie, they also don't come out during the day and they're also afraid of fire, but then their underground homes are very well lit. And you could see everything yeah. fine. <laughs> so I was just kind of like, I was wondering when I was watching the movie, I'm like, how are they going to do the underground parts? Because it's so dark. And what they did was they just didn't make it dark. And well, we just... Otherwise, it would be kind of boring. Well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> just screams. At the... Yeah. <laughs> so basically, a long battle scene ensues. He's the He finds the Eloy that were taken, and he finds Wina. He saves them, ultimately. And, well, and, he also tries to get them to, to fight as well. Yeah, so, so he, he reintroduces violence to the human race. Thank you, George. He he beats up the Morlocks himself. He uses the torch and stuff like that, and then he encourages the Eloy to join, and eventually they do. Um, and they set the whole place on fire. I think they set the whole place on fire. I'm like, that is just rude. That is just not nice. 
like come on that's, that's and like true. the whole underground kind of collapses but then the door opens again and mm -hmm. there's this time machine and he runs so to it he runs to it he was going to get Wina with him but as he runs past the door he turns around to get Wina, and the door snaps closed again right, right? and there's a whole bunch of uh, Morlocks trying to get him Mm -hmm. So he fights him off, jumps onto the machine, and again go, goes forward in time. Mm -hmm. And you can see the more like that he knocked off how he did, deteriorates and yeah, and, decaying, yeah. And then I thought we were going to go into the future and see crabs, but we stopped at that point. We went. Backwards. Yeah, he says, "Oh, oops, I'm going wrong direction." Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so then he goes back in time, and then the ending of the movie is very similar, where he has a flower and right. he jumps back into the future. Except the, the implication in So what happens is like when different. he when he comes back, right? And the beginning that the time machine was in his workshop. Mm -hmm. Right. But when he comes back, it's in his garden. Right. It had right? Been because moved, the yeah. Morlocks moved it. So he moves it back into mm -hmm. well, I mean he goes tells him the story. Uh, he moves it back into his workshop. So they the dinner is finished and and, and the people are leaving. In, and the doctors and the journalists saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mm -hmm. a very nice story. And Philby's kind of hanging around saying, you know, George, you know, take it easy, you know, mm -hmm. you'll be fine, you know. And he leaves and he decides to like come back 10 minutes later or something. Yeah. And he comes back and he hears some noises from the, from the lab. Mm -hmm. And the machine he, he breaks into the lab with the housekeeper and, and the machine is no longer there. Mm -hmm. And he looks at the tracks on the ground and he says, oh, I get it. You know, the machine was inside the Sphinx, but this is where we now was standing. So he moved He's the machine. Back. So and he, he went back yeah. and he took some books with him. Well, also, also they made very clear. He went back to be with Wina, right. his, his one true love. Right. Well, he wanted <laughs> to you know, restart the human civilization without Morlocks, right? Uh, yeah, so they say that he he's going back to rebuild the future and, you know, help them and save Wina and everything like that. And and yeah, he takes, he doesn't take anything, so he takes three books, but they never say what books he takes. I right. guess that's the question for us as the right. viewer. What kind of books? Would... And also he leaves a note or something, right? Oh, no, he writes a note for the people who are going to come to dinner a week later right. saying, you know, if I'm late, just, you know, just wait, just start yeah. eating. You know, so. Yeah. 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 I don't know what three books he took because the, the bookshelf he took them from the book, those books look like, like an encyclopedia set. So mm -hmm. I'm like, did you take three random books out of an encyclopedia set or did we not think this through very deeply in the props department? You know, I don't know exactly what it, what it was. I mean, a right. man of that time would probably take like, like the Bible. Um, probably not probably take like you know Newton's even physics or some I, math books i don't know yeah and i mean even even a scientist at that time would probably have taken the bible i, I imagine i mean it maybe he took like you know he could always come back pick up some more books i mean exactly it's like whatever he has all the time in the world <laughs> start start like and that yeah. was the last line right yeah. of, of the movie wasn't it so i i liked that i liked the visuals of the movie and let, let's talk about like the differences between the two. What what was interesting to me is that the the themes from the book are kind of lost in the movie because the themes from the book are like the social commentary about the classes and right. why classism is bad and 
how kind of the futility of all of this given, you know, seeing the future and seeing the, you know, the end of the universe, more or less, the far, the far, far distant future and how like all of these, like that in juxtaposition to like class warfare is just, it's, it seems so petty in comparison. Well, because you have to think about historically in 1895, that was before World Wars, right? Mm -hmm. So World War One turned out to be a horrendous disaster, much, much, much worse than anybody ever thought it might be. Mm -hmm. And World War Two was equally bad. And then mm -hmm. for the Cold War, everybody expected World War Three to be even worse. Right. Right. So that that was kind of a big thing. Well, um, so it's sort of interesting how like the book had like these themes about like classism, basically. And then the movie being produced in the 1960s, more or less put those themes aside and like didn't right. didn't apply those themes, but applied the the modern concerns of an, a 1960s audience, which would right. be you know, the, the destruction, destructive power of warfare. Right. And how warfare was bad. That was right. definitely a big theme in the movie. But then that makes me question, what's the point of the ending of the movie where he teaches them to be violent again? Well, just to, there was violence that just, you didn't see it because it was underground, just because Morlock just killed them and ate them. You know, they, they wanted to be free and, and, but did they want to be? But the Eloy didn't express any desire to be free or to even though they weren't. They'll be free or else. <laughs> <laughs> but also, it's like that's not warfare. That's like agriculture. <laughs> like the, the Morlocks were just raising well, it's, it's, cattle it's, that could talk, right? You, so, you, could, you could look at it. You know, the, Mor the Eloy kind of lived in paradise, right? Mm -hmm. And had no knowledge. And then you know, you eat your fruit from from the tree of knowledge and all mm -hmm. of a sudden you have to toil and, and work as opposed to more luck doing that stuff for you. Right. And so it's like, I guess that's kind of, I, I don't know that I quite get if there was like a, like a lesson the movie was trying to teach us. Cause I thought during the movie, the lesson was war is bad, which is a yeah, perfectly yeah. good, fine lesson. War is mm -hmm. bad. And seeing it in that scale that he saw over but, time gets to that. But the ending doesn't, I mean, unless unless maybe the implication of the ending is with his knowledge of the history, he's going to try to create a world where that doesn't happen again. Right, but maybe also that's kind the of idea. it implied that Morlocks were like cattle; they were not free humans. So they should be not Morlocks. The Eloi were not really free; they were just not not true humans, not living up to their potential. Right, so they needed mm -hmm. freedom. And independence of of anything, so they could pursue knowledge and and do things. Why couldn't the Morlocks be the ones to pursue knowledge? They were already pursuing well, knowledge and doing things, just because they the, were ugly and blue. Like that's why that's, that's my <laughs> point. You know, uh, I said that about the orcs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the hobbits just sat around smoking, you know, pipes basically, mm -hmm. and uh, orcs did all the work. So I think it's it's definitely interesting the. It, it was like it was like a movie that modernized an old story and well no like... i mean they kept it the, at least the beginning of it was kept in the spirit of hg wells very kind of steampunk don't you think oh definitely yeah no i mean yeah. like they kept this the science fiction framework that was given to them but it definitely was designed for a 1960s kind of audience because watching it now as a 2022 audience I, I still appreciate the aspects of it that are from the time machine, but the other stuff doesn't land as much because 
you know, we're not, we're not in that same mindset that post World War One, World War Two. No, this was brand. more of the, the you know, smart white man comes and teaches the the natives uh, the, yes. the ways of civilization. Yes, right? he needs to teach them how to be civilized. Yep. It was okay though because the people, the Eloy in the movie, were all white, so it didn't yeah. have the bad racial implication. <laughs> but it didn't necessarily but, I mean, have this a good implication. That's a typical colonist, uh, right? I mean, England was a big uh, empire at the time. Well, so, I, do you want to talk about Futurama a little bit? Um, can I talk a little bit about or more about themes first? Yes, of course. I I felt that the movie kind of had a theme that you and I had touched on. Um, have touched on in the past with several stories, which is this concept of like time travel and fate and like whether or not you can change things in the future, or if you're just like accepting of your fate to, to the extent that there is kind of, there's a little bit of a time loop in the movie because he, so time travel goes into the near future when he finds out that in the near future, like 30 years later, he had not returned. Right. And at the end of the movie, he disappears right and i think that implication is that he doesn't return he right he goes and he doesn't return and the fact that no have him having visited that future where he didn't return and ultimately choosing to go back and time travel again you know knowing that he he must have time traveled again for that to happen that's kind of like one of those accepting fate kind of things like knowing your fate and going with it and I also wonder to what extent his story affects his friend, David Philby, because his story included how David Philby dies. Right. right. So, you know, if Philby believes, then Philby would theoretically be able to stop himself from dying, like not go to the front lines when he's summoned or whatever, you know, theoretically. Yeah, but Philby didn't know about that part, right? So, well, I guess in the movie... No, he, he told him. He told him about... I mean, he told the story, and that was in the story, that he ran into Philby's son, Jamie, uh, and what they said. But then you get things like the fact that, like, David Philby keeps the house, that then after the house is destroyed, one of the times he visits, there's, like, a school there or whatever, and there's a plaque that's, like, this place is... the space is dedicated right. from David Philby to his friend... Uh, his good friend George or whatever. Right. Again, the greatest love story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so like those aspects of the story were told to Philby by the time traveler. So, it, it does kind of create a time. There is like a bit of a time loop in the movie that's like not really explored. Oh, right. But yeah. I, I think that kind of goes along with themes we've seen before about it, you know, accepting fate and not necessarily like they don't take any steps to actively change that future the time traveler is going to try to help the Eloy but he's not doing anything to change like he's not doing anything for example to change the wars that are going to come like he knows all these right. wars are going to happen he's got a time machine why can't he figure out you know why didn't he go kill Hitler right everyone with a time machine why didn't he go kill Hitler so he doesn't do any of that he kind of accepts that that's the way it's going to happen to return to the Eloy. So I, I don't know. I thought that there, that was kind of interesting in the present, in the movie. Right. I think, I think you're overthinking it because it's, it's a movie, <laughs> but yes. Are you suggesting I'm overanalyzing something? I am shocked. <laughs> I have never, I've never been accused of such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
I, I should mention, right, so if you want to actually find out what really happens, you should read the sequel to the to a time machine called Time Ships, which is written by Stephen Baxter, who's a physicist and who certainly believes in multiple timelines. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of crazy timeline stuff that happens in Time Ships. So I, if you want to read it. Um, I tend to think in the book, I'm back and forth when I think happens in the book. I, I think he probably dies because of the fact that he doesn't come back. I think he probably, because like in the movie, he has a reason to go into the future and right. stay there because he's like got this emotional connection to Weena for some reason. And he doesn't have that in the, in the book. He, he has a desire to prove that he is actually time traveling in the book. So he has a reason to go to the future, get data and come back. The fact that he doesn't makes me think that he, he died. I, th I think that's the implication that he died somewhere. In the well, future. he came back, you know, the guy says in three years, he hasn't come back, but maybe he comes back in the fourth year. But why would he do that? Uh, his machine is miscalibrated. <laughs> <laughs> well, why would he do? Why would he not just come back the same day? You know, it's, it's, I don't know. Anyway, so you want to talk about the Futurama episode? The Futurama episode was called the late. Uh, um, the, the late Philip J. Fry and it's right. in season seven. And that one just, uh, Fry has to go to have dinner with uh, Leela for her birthday. And he always is late, always misses everything. So before he goes, the professor says, oh, I just built this cool time machine. Can we just try it? We'll go up for, we go up in time for like one minute mm -hmm. and just to test it out. But it only, and it only goes forward. The time machine only it, goes it, This machine only goes forwards in time. And it kind of looks a little bit like the time machine from the time machine, the movie, right? It's yeah. kind of very, it has you know, um, steampunky. The, the lever, like the, the lever, so the lever yeah. in the movie has like a crystal on the end, like a crystal yeah thing and so does the one in futurama yeah. which i thought was very cute <laughs> but except this one is enclosed right so this one has a roof yeah because yeah. much better designed yeah so professor fry and bender step into the machine and one of them slips and the the, the push the lever way way too fast yes <laughs> and they go into the future whoops and fry misses his date with Lila. whoops and they're uh, saying, well, we'll go in the future until they, somebody discovers backwards time machine, and then we'll go back. And uh, they did manage to get to the time where it's it's kind of funny because like they, they visit different kinds of uh, science fiction movies. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah. Like Terminator, where, they, where Bender wanted to stay with all the robots mm -hmm. in control. Uh, there's some Star trek -y kind of things. There's And there's one that's a riff on the time machine, the, the Wheeze and the Dumblocks. Did you catch that? Oh, uh, no, but yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so there's so they stop and there's like there's these little aliens with the big ears and they're like they're like, oh, we you know, we don't know the history, we don't know backwards time travel yet, but in about five, if we put our brains to it, like in about five years, our society will certainly have unlocked that mystery. And they say, okay, we'll see you in five years. And they go forward five years and they come back and uh, the, the dumb locks, as they were called um, in Futurama, have eaten all the wheeze. <laughs> <laughs> So that was their their time machine reference. But yeah, they go uh, through different, different So they finally places. get to an era where there's uh, all these beautiful women running around mm -hmm. and, and they had invented backwards time machine. But before they can do something, they again, somebody trips over the and pushes the lever too far. Yes. <laughs> and they go yeah. further into the future. And then they, they get to like when the earth is dead and there's no life on the earth anymore. And... Uh, they're like, they're you know, going to say, well, let's just see the end of the universe and what the hell and, and enjoy it. And 
they do that, then they realize at the end of the universe, new Big Bang happens, mm -hmm. and they wind up to come back to the universe that kind of the universe replaces itself. It's like a huge time loop. Mm -hmm. So they try to stop at the right spot, and they miss again. So they go around again. <laughs> they go around a second time. <laughs> And then, yeah. wait, it's great, though, because then when they come around and finally stop at the right time, their time ship, which had been on the floor of the laboratory, is now like 10 feet up. Right. And it's floating over where their previous selves were. And the professor goes, oh, no, this timeline is 10 feet lower than the last one. <laughs> and then their ship drops and kills their previous selves. Right. And he's like, oh, good, we solved that time paradox. <laughs> <laughs> This is great. And then Fry makes his date with Leela. And actually, she left him a message in the... In the, in the green growth tower, whatever it is. Yeah, the stalactites. So it's like a restaurant. Yeah. The restaurant they were supposed to meet at. She she figures out that he's lost in time, basically, in like one of the timelines. And she carves Oh, she into... finds his, his birthday card that's yeah. recorded for her. Right. And she she's able to leave him a message in stone, basically, for him to find in the future, which he does find. So it's very sweet. Not as sweet as the love story between George and David in the Time Machine movie, but very, also very sweet. Um, but it's, there's, it's there's a book with that uh, we learned about named Tau Zero by Paul Anderson, I think, which uses a similar device where you can go to the end of time and look back. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting to me that it took, you know, Futurama riffs on so many different science fiction things. Yeah. This is an episode in season seven. It took them till season seven to riff on Time Machine. So I like, which is interesting to me. I couldn't believe they didn't do it sooner because they, they've done everything else. Yeah, I don't know. I would have to go rewatch all the Futurama and see what, what they riff, riffed on. I know they stole a whole bunch of stuff from Lem of all They days. do steal a lot of things from Lem, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so that was, that was Time Machine the book, Time Machine the movie, and the Futurama episode about Time Machine. I hope everyone had a good time listening to us. <laughs> uh, do you get it? But that's... So what's the plan next so time? So the plan for next time, we'll, we'll read um, All You Zomb Zombies, the short story, and watch the movie Predestination. That is loosely based on that one. And this is crazy, super-duper time knots. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> More mental gymnastics. Woo. Right. <laughs> That'll be great. All right. Anything, anything else? Nope. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on History in Reverse. Uh, my name is Caroline, and I was here with Richie. And, uh, Hello, and goodbye. And goodbye, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. say like welcome it's to the recording outtakes. No. yeah welcome to the outtakes these are uh, the outtakes we did not forget to edit these are the outtakes <laughs> this is the, your easter egg congratulations for listening do you know what podcast. we're going to do next do you want so here i have an option for you do you want to read a book by a woman author with with a woman main character mm -hmm. but there is no movie okay or do you want to read a short story and a, and a movie the short story is zombie, uh, all these zombies, and the movie's uh, predestination, which we saw once. And it's, I wouldn't say the main oh. character is a man or woman because 
it's both mm-hmm. and it's like a totally insane time loop story by Heinlein I think it was written like in one day mm-hmm. and then the movie was made in 2014 it was quite good so we can do that oh. it's less reading and more movie watching 